you can't handle the truth. Bingo! You are now listening to the facts. going on everybody welcome back to straight facts a sports show that educates and entertains i'm your co-host james jackson joined by my main man jake galley and our residential statistician stat matt down there guys as we are recording right now as we're setting up shop nba basketball is back baby they got scrimmages going on right now yeah it's really surreal to see i mean it's like it's been so long without sports i just was scrolling down my timeline just before we started and i saw paul george hit like an end of quarter buzzer beater (laughs) and it's almost I almost like don't know how to like look at these clips like I'm almost you know expecting to for that Paul George buzzer beating to be from December of 2019 (laughs) like I'm not even expecting it to be a a live clip like holy crap this is basketball is actually happening but speaking of basketball actually happening that leads us right into the facts straight at you uh talking about the Phoenix Suns going in uh, to this bubble into the last stretch of the NBA season. They only have one game against a non-playoff team, that being the Wizards, and they don't play any games against the teams that are ahead of them in the standings. So I know this seems damn near impossible, but the question is, like, can the Suns make it to the playoffs, and how can the Suns make it to the playoffs? Uh, to prelude this, you know, this whole conversation, we've been rolling out these clips on social media about the five Western Conference playing teams. We'll play the Suns clip for you right now just to give you a little context of what this discussion will be about. The NBA playing teams all have an uphill climb to make the playoffs this season, and none may be facing a tougher battle than the Phoenix Suns. The upside, they rank 15th in offensive efficiency and 18th on the defensive end, so not too bad. They also have one of the most underrated and efficient scorers in the league at Devin Booker, who ranks 10th in the association in true shooting percentage at 61.7, plus a healthy DeAndre Ayton. Unfortunately, that upside can't outweigh the downside here. They currently sit six games back of the 18 the Grizzlies and have the sixth toughest schedule of all the bubble teams, which culminates in them having less than a 1% chance of making the playoffs per 538 sports, which is the same chance they gave the Thunder at the start of the season, but the Suns aren't the Thunder. They were invited to the bubble, though, which means they must have a puncher's chance, right? So the best case scenario for the Suns is they go at least 6-2 and two in the final eight games and hope the teams above them struggle. But don't count on the best case scenario happening here. So they better enjoy Orlando for the short time that they're there. Sorry, Phoenix. Better luck next season. Yeah, James, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. I I really don't even think you can give them a puncher's chance. Like, the NBA must have just brought them because they <laughs> needed bodies. Really? Like, really? Ridiculous. They don't play any of the teams, as you said, they don't play any of the teams that are in front of them. They would need a complete miracle meltdown from like three of the teams ahead of them. That's if they, and that's if that, even if they take care of business on their end. That means like they, they got to win right. like all of two games to even have like a realistic chance of all this snowball effect happening. Like I'm not I'm not sure why the NBA just they wanted to make sure that the you know nothing ruins this party of this parade of you know Lakers and and Clippers going to the Western Conference Finals. They just didn't even want to they didn't want the 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 parade to get rained on. Right. There's only like three teams that are allowed to get the eight seed. It's the Grizzlies, the Blazers, and obviously the NBA's favorite, the New Orleans Pelicans. <laughs> yep. um, so, I, I mean, like, I, I don't really feel bad, per se, about Phoenix. They were probably, if we played out the year as is, they weren't going to be anywhere near the playoffs anyway. So, maybe that went into some of the scheduling. Um, but it it is, uh, like, a little bit of a shitty feeling, I'd imagine, if you as a player look around and you know that you're just the body there. You're the, you're the warm-up body. You are the scout team now. Yeah. Your I was about to say, you're, you're the little five, five kid who, who plays on the football team. Who's the tackling dummy for most of the, for most of the drills. But it's funny. Cause they're like, <laughs> they're a cupcake game to pretty much everybody on their schedule. Like everybody, but one team is, you know, in, in a prime position. So it's, it's crazy how they're, they're literally the punching bag for the rest of the league. But it's it's funny they come to Orlando with such a disadvantage, but the Suns weren't like crazy bad all year. Like the numbers say that the Suns weren't the most putrid team in the NBA. First in the NBA in assists too. Monty Williams carried them, uh, you know, from a pass heavy offense from his time to the Sixers, where they led uh, led the league in passes and ranked fourth in assists last year. So Phoenix knows how to share the ball. You heard in my little deep dive that they're middle of the pack for pretty much offense and defense. Plus they get 
DeAndre Ayton back healthy. So there's like there's some upside to be had for the Suns, is there not? Like, is there? That's why I said they have a, the puncher's chance. And Mikel no, I, Bridges no, of Nova fame is playing a lot better than he was earlier. He's out in his first, like, beginning of the season, he was shooting, like, 29% from three. And in his last, I think, 50 games, he's shooting 39%. And he was a big piece for them. I, like, to me, what is most important, I need to see in these games that, you know, against the cream of the crop, which, remember, the Suns started out, I think it was 5-2, and two, and their only two losses came to a one-point loss against Utah and a one-point loss against Denver. So they were really, really strong out of the gates. And then, of course, DeAndre Ayton gets popped for diuretics, or I'm not exactly sure what he got popped oh, for. Oh. Right, he misses 25 games, and then they went on to lose like eight games in a row. Things kind of took a tumble from there. So I... I can't say that they were given their absolute, you know, fairest shake here with what happened with Aiton. But to me, if I'm a Suns fan and if I'm someone in the Suns front office, I'm paying keen attention to what happens down here because I want to know, like, like, is this pairing of DeAndre Aiton and Devin Booker, which I don't know if you guys remember, they called themselves the next Kobe and Shaq. It's funny how that goes when you then win 29 games the following year. Right. (laughs) Like, I just think it's so imperative because Booker's contract is going to be coming up here. And I know that he's been rumored to, you know, Lee has been rumored interested in in Devin Booker. So for that reason, I think they do still have some intrigue and upside um, just to kind of project what's going to happen next year. Yeah, I mean, next year and moving forward. And I know a lot of the, you know, a lot of the busts on the Suns are are, a lot of the hate on the Suns was drafting DeAndre Hayton when they could have had a Luka, when they could have had a Trey Young, but I don't think DeAndre Ayton is anything, anything close to a bust, you know, just now and just yet. I don't think, just like you said, that we haven't gotten that fair shake of even seeing what DeAndre Ayton could be fully healthy for a full season. And if they can get Devin Booker to commit and, and stay with the Suns, the next three or four years could look like the Suns in the playoffs, could look like the Suns having a little bit of contention if they continue to build. I think there, there definitely is an upside with the Suns that there isn't with a lot of different teams. Yeah, Aiden's averaging 19 and 12 in the 30 games he's played, which is, right. we'll take that. I'm just going to just fire off a few hot takes here and, you know, just take them as you may. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number one. First and foremost, I don't think you can build a championship team around Devin Booker. That's bad news I'm for gonna, the Phoenix. Side. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop. Let's, let's take this grain by grain. Okay. So you don't piss me off all at once. Grain by grain. First of all, you absolutely can build a championship team around, around Devin Booker. He's got, he's 100% got the talent to be able to do that. Surround him with, you know, with defense, rebounding, and and good guards that can run in the full court. And absolutely, you can build a championship team around Devin Booker. No chance. So then name me, aside from a team led by Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, which Devin Booker is not, nor will ever be, a team that was led by a high scoring two guard. Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade. Okay, but Dwayne Wade play, played both sides of the ball. Fair point. Fair point. That's the team who won a championship with high Curry. school. Steph Curry. Steph Bang. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> surrounded. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but he, uh, Steph Curry is surrounded by a good team. I'm saying surrounded. Also, but I, that, that's a little nitpicky. Pretty much. My only point is, like, like I, I view him in the same way that I view a guy like Zach Levine or like CJ McCollum, like a great Brad Beal. He's starting to edge out of that because I think Brad Beal is very, very great. But these guys are phenomenal scorers, but they don't add much on the defensive end. And to me, like, when you look at a leader of a team, they need to be a player that's on both sides of the ball dominant. Not always has to be. Steph Curry wasn't. But Steph Curry also had Draymond Green, who is the defensive player of the year. So, Again, I don't want to compare Devin Booker to Steph Curry. That was not my intention, but it's not a crazy person. What's number two? Because you're—I mean, what's number two at this point? The second hot take is that DeAndre, and this is, I think, less hot, but again, kind of the same point. I think DeAndre Ayton is actually the second best player from that draft class. Obviously, Luca's number one, but some people would put Trey Young over DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I—I I, I don't think. Again, the same reason. All Trey star, Young, all star starter. Trey Young, that Trey Young, mm-hmm. all star starter. Trey Young, he, he at thirty point Trey Young. 
that Trey Young. And like, that's not like, again, like I don't even want to be knocking these guys because they're going to have bright futures. They're great players. But like, if I'm looking for a player, I don't want, if I'm on a championship team, unless you can really, really surround Trey Young with supreme defensive and, and perfect fit on offense pieces, I would rather have DeAndre Ayton who goes out and gets you 20 and 12, shoots near 60%, doesn't need the ball. He shoots 15 times a game and is improving on defense. That's just me. And that I can admit that that's a little bit of a hot take, but that that's is, how I see it. And, and the way, I mean, we can go down a whole rabbit hole as to why I would debate you on that. But I guess the way the NBA is going, I, I would right now prefer if I had the option of one-on-one, prefer a high-scoring point guard who can dominate from the perimeter and stretch the floor like Trey Young can, then I would be to go and get a 20-12 and 12 big man. Because, you know, I can I can get a... 15 and seven big man who could be a stretch four and stretch five. And now my, my floor is spread very wide and you know, my offense is fluid, but that's a whole different one, but you got it off two big, two big hot takes right there. You had those brewing for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, look, remember, remember here, I had the number one pick in my fantasy dynasty draft and I picked Deandre Ayton over Lucas. So I have a little bit of defense to play here. (laughs) I'm on defense a little bit. I need to up. Lucas gets all the love. I mean, you have to justify the pick. As do the of Phoenix Suns. As do the Phoenix Suns. My fans are ravenous, James. I mean, <laughs> they, they need answers. Oh my god. Okay, well let's let's continue here. So we talked about the Suns a little bit and how we think they stack up for the rest of the league, but we we have to transition right now because Bleacher Report has been in hot water. Rankings in general have been in hot water between Bleacher Report, Madden, ESPN. I can't get like a ranking system that I really agree with. And Bleacher Report is the latest culprit on what they did. They came out uh, with what they think are the the top five, or they ranked the starting five uh, of each NBA team in the bubble from one to 22. They actually went backwards. Um, And the starting five that they rolled out, a a lot of people didn't agree with. I'll I'll detail it right now. Uh, At number five, they have the Boston Celtics. At number four, they have the Miami Heat. At number three, the Milwaukee Bucks. At number two, the Los Angeles Clippers. And at number one, Jake, the NBA's favorite, everybody's favorite, the New Orleans Pelicans at number one. Not listed on this list are the following. We have the Toronto Raptors. We have the Los Angeles Lakers. We have the Houston Rockets, so on and so forth. Many teams are not listed. Um, So this actually kicks off a little segment we want to debut called Where the Facts Lie. Now, we, we predicate our show on finding you, you know, the hottest statistics in sports and kind of explaining them and putting them in context. But this is an example that you can't, um, you can't rely just on any statistic on any sport. So I'll let our statistician stat Matt kind of take it away and to, to figure out why you cannot, uh, why you cannot trust every stat that you see. So here's why it's terrible what they did. So they just looked at the net rating of every starting lineup and just ranked them and said, these are the best starting lineups. The problem with that is the amount of minutes played within starting lineups is ridiculous. Zion just started playing, which means teams haven't looked at tape to see how to counter Zion within the Pelicans lineup. So their numbers are wildly inflated. And the Sixers starting lineup hasn't played a minute together all season because they're putting shake in there for the first time. So it's impossible to rank what their starting lineup is going to be. And just some examples of, Really looking at facts the wrong way. It's one, this Bleacher Report thing. Some other things you could find when you look at facts the wrong way. You could say that Chris Anderson was the fourth best player in the NBA in 2013. You can say that Chris Dunn is the second best defender in the NBA this season because he's the second best in defensive box plus minus. And this season, you can say that Carl, Carl Anthony Towns is having a better season than LeBron because he's ahead of him in PER. Stats only matter, and facts only matter, when there's multiple things that can back up the hypothesis. This is just throwing crap at a wall to get controversy. He was and passionate about that. Like, like, I didn't think he was going to read Bleacher Report their rights like that at the end. Like, <laughs> like he came at them. I love to yeah. see it. I love to see everything of it. The favorite... My favorite PPR, PER is a hell of a stat because I think it's what it's highly weighted in like points, rebounds, and stuff like that. Wasn't Boban? Yeah, Boban. Boban yeah. 
And uh, like it doesn't do defense well at all, which makes sense with how high Towns is. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, like, look, the Pelicans theoretically could have a very, very good lineup. There's some really strong numbers on Zion's offensive rebounding and, and points in the paint and the looks that he creates when he's on the floor. Like, yeah, they probably miss some of that and they'd probably be much better um, if they had had him. But, like, are we really going to put that starting five that we don't know how good they would have been. We do know how good the Milwaukee Bucks mm-hmm. and the Los Angeles Clippers starting lineups were this year. And both of them are ranked beneath the Pelicans who may not make the playoffs. Right. Like, who are poor fighting for the playoff lives. And here's the thing. I can understand moving the Lakers back a little bit because Avery Bradley, Avery Bradley didn't make the trip. Avery Bradley's a, a big piece of their offense. But you're telling me that Avery Bradley leaving the Lakers makes them go from one or two to 11, forgetting the fact that we still have two top five, if not top six, top seven NBA players in the same starting lineup. So you're telling me that there are 10 other starting lineups better than that. You could put me, you, and Matt next to Anthony Davis and LeBron, and it wouldn't be the 11th best lineup (laughs) better than that. Straight up. It it just, I mean, it it comes off a little quick, baby. you know, Bleacher Report, all those ESPNs, that type, those type content sites are really struggling. So, you know what? That's, a, that's what you do. When you struggle for content, you you stir up something controversial and you throw it out there and you let the interactions drive you. That's okay. See, see example for episode, what, 45? AI versus CP3 versus Steve Nash. That's what we got to do. <laughs> and, it, and it works. So, I get it. All right. So, if Bleacher Report was wrong, I think we should go around the room right now and give me your you know, top five starting fives in the NBA bubble right now based on, you know, statistics, but also like common sense and eye tests. Because I think that's a lot of thing that, that people miss. There, there is stuff to be said for the eye test and common sense and just knowing how, you know, people play and players play. So, Jake, go ahead. Why don't you go first? Give me your top five. All right. So first would be the Milwaukee Bucks. I think this is pretty straightforward when you go. And I'm going to use Bleacher Report's logic against them here, a little bit more refined logic, because okay. when you don't account for sample size, things happen like you say, you know, Pelicans are better than the Clippers. So if you account for the fact that all these lineups are at least or, or great equal then or greater to 500 minutes played together. So first and foremost, Milwaukee, when you look at their four-man units under that restriction, they have the top four. So I'm going to go with Milwaukee and say that they are the number one lineup, um, which is Antetokounmpo, Brooks Lopez, Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, and Wes Matthews, I think, was starting for them. That's number one. Number two, the Utah Jazz. Surprisingly, I know this may raise some eyebrows. This may raise some eyebrows, but their net rating, again, I'm going to be using Bleacher Report's method but more refined because I think that their head was in the right direction, but without context, again, we said these stats were not complete. So a lot of the four-man group, again, I'm looking at the four-man group, a lot of Utah's lineups have played tons of minutes together. That's true. And we know that their penchant for being a tough defensive team and giving teams that they likely will face, like the Houston Rockets, trouble. I think that they are a solid pick um, for the starting five. Starting five. I, that being said, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I don't think they're going to win the championship. I just think based on their starting five, no, they have the most starting five. It's, and a lot of this is kind of like on paper versus on paper. Like when you're, when you're yeah. doing something like starting five. So I don't know if I'd ever put Utah Jazz as high as two, but you know, I can, you're justified in, in where you put them. So then for three and four, this is again me sitting on the fence here because I don't know which way I'm going to fall yet. But I'm going to tie, put in a tie, the two teams of L.A. The Clippers and the Lakers are tied for third. Because I truly think they're two of the most equal teams in the entire NBA playoffs. And they happen to be two of the best teams in the entire NBA playoffs. You go star for star, Kawhi versus LeBron, PG versus um, Anthony Davis. And then the supporting cast of characters is where I think some of the differences in those stars, I think the Lakers have the better of the two stars you can kind of make up for the differences with the Clippers coaching, with the Clippers depth. So that's why I tie those two. Maybe you could say it's ridiculous. I have them third and fourth rather than first and second, but that's where I fall in it. And uh, first and second. Right. That's a good point. Jake, Jake, I'm going to, before you get to one and two, before you get to one and two, I just have to make sure that you don't go completely Homer on me. And make me mad with whoever you have at one and two. I'm just going to preface. No, no, this is, is, I'm sorry, James, I've been going backwards. 
So as in as in your fourth best then? No, no, that's my second best. Oh my I've been going the other way. Oh my god. Oh, okay. That kind of doesn't make it even. <laughs> that kind of doesn't make it even worse. Okay. I won't be a homer. I won't be a homer. I'll close it out with my number five team. And I hate to, I almost can't even come out of my mouth. The Miami Heat, who have been a villain, so to speak, of the Eastern Conference. I wrote them off completely at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. And so far, their lineup of, who do they run out there? It's Jimmy Butler, uh, Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, uh, Kendrick Nunn, and Myers Leonard has been incredibly efficient. And I think the combination of Jimmy Butler's kind of grit and know-how combined with this relative upside of Duncan Robinson, uh, Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, these rookies, I I really think that they could potentially make some noise. I know that Hero's not in their starting five, but when you look at their entire team and how far they can go, I like Miami. And I I do really like Miami's starting five. I like what Jimmy Butler's been able to do. The only reason I'd probably leave them outside of my starting five is they may be the most efficient of the starting fives in the NBA, but they're their struggle is to, to score the ball at times and how they have to rely so much on, you know, playing so hard defense and limiting teams to scoring. It's just when you when you get up against these other starting fives and the amount of scoring power that they have, I think the Heat falls short. But they are, like, extremely efficient and are going to be a nightmare for a lot of teams. Like it said that Milwaukee – there's, like, one team that Milwaukee doesn't want to see in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that's Miami. So No, that's a lie. There's that's two. a lie. Hot take, Miami is the Nuggets of the East. Fun in the regular season, won't do crap in the that's playoffs. Pretty, I mean, look, 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 that's 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 pretty accurate. I don't even know if that's an insult. That's pretty accurate um, for D. Roy Goo. But I'll go next and and lay out my starting five. I'm going to go backwards, Jake, and, and build the suspense. Um, Probably better. Yeah. Number five, I'm going to go the Houston Rockets. And I know we spent a lot of time, you know, actually last year around this time when Russell Westbrook got traded to the Rockets, kind of shitting on them. Um, and they've been a little bit lackluster and disappointing. But of late, when they made that Capella trade, when they really put all their emphasis into Russell Westbrook's style of play and how he runs the floor and how fast he plays, they've been a better team, scoring the ball better. And I've even been a little bit better on defense as well. They've inched themselves better. And I think, you know, this this time off, getting everybody to get a little bit of rest and then coming back and, and having time to really game plan for that small ball lineup, something that no other team in the NBA is doing right now, at least in their starting lineup. So it could be for better or for worse, but I think there's a huge upside there of what they're going to be able to do. So I'm going to put them at five. Nice, nice. They they were a fringe five team for me. They, again, for all the reasons that you just mentioned, like they are incredibly interesting, but I, mean, I don't know. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of the same logic I follow when I talk about the Lakers. And when you have two players so good as Russell Westbrook and James Harden in the same starting five, there's just on paper, there's seldom teams that stack up better than that. So... I mean, they get that kind of by default with who they have. Number four, I am going to Lakers. And the Lakers would be one or two for me if they didn't have if they did have Avery Bradley. So, like, I understand Avery Bradley not being in the starting five pushes them back a little bit. But, I mean, we still have LeBron James and Anthony Davis and a veteran in Danny Green. So, like, I'm still very much okay with that, with that Lakers starting five. Um, and just our team as a whole. Like, I think JR and Dion, like, the addition of those two coming off the bench, that's some firepower off the bench. And some guys that are just willing to pull. So I still really like the Lakers. Number three, I'm going to have the Celtics. Um, you know, such, I mean, such a, a great team all year. Matt's smirky at me down there. <laughs> and the Celtics are such, they're, they have, their best player isn't even a top 10 player. How are they a top three starting La five? I mean, is, do, do the Miami Heat have a player who's a, a top 10 player in their starting five? No, but I didn't see you scoff at Jake. For, for putting the heat in their top five. So let your Celtics bias go a little bit. They have an all-star in their starting five, a player who's also playing very well in Jalen Brown. And Kemba, their big money guy, has seemingly fit right into the offense and actually allowed Jason Tatum to kind of blossom a little bit. They're one of like the most cohesive starting fives in the league. So, yes, I'm, I'm putting the Celtics at number three. What you got to say about it? The Celtics, will they don't have any postseason viability. In any sense. This is what really matters. How teams will play in the postseason. They They are great postseason performances. Did did they not go to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple years ago? The East was trash. And they they have... They have no playoff viability. 
but they went to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple years ago with people that are the on the team. The best player on that team is gone. But the, but the best player on that team now led them through that playoffs. If they went to the Eastern Conference Finals as a rookie. No, nah, Al Horford led them through that playoffs. Oh, that's funny. James, here, let's just go through this real quick because I think playoff basketball, we can agree, is much more physical physical than regular season basketball. Agreed. Something that the Celtics have had problems with has been size. Uh, so let's go through here. Giannis Antetokounmpo, mm, <laughs> right? All, just devours the Celtics, Jake, right? Don't, don't ever make that, ever make that sound. I got five more teams to go through. Right, go Toronto ahead. Raptors, Pascal Siakam, mm, 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 mm. Oh, they're destroying eating barbecue chicken off the falling off the bone not, the not, Celtic. Not really. Not really. Like where are you getting this from? Not Bam Adebayo. Is Enos Cantor stopping these guys? Who's stopping these guys? Come on. Adebayo. You go down, you, you have Sabonis and Miles Turner who can get buckets on the inside for the Pacers. Right. Then I get what the Celtics are fifth. So then you have the Sixers, they have like four guys who could score in the paint against notably Embiid is notably a Celtics killer. So like when you, you go down the when you look at the Celtics starting five, when you break it down, they have one of the best one-on-one scorers in the league, and Jason Tatum, one of the best ISO players in the league. They've transformed one of the like most electrifying and quickest guards in Kemba Walker into a balanced player. He was a score-first point guard in Charlotte, and now he's more of a balanced player. Still, again, another All-Star starter. And then you go with Marcus Smart. You want to talk about the defensive end? Marcus Smart brings that grit and grind. On the defensive end. So they have a well-balanced starting five. I can throw names out at you, too. You're throwing names out at me of the good players on the other team. I know who the other teams have. But I'm saying this is how the Celtics stack up. Can I get through my list? Like, damn. We're at number three. <laughs> like, I knew this was going to happen. Let me get through it. Okay, number two. I'm going with the other L.A. team and the Clippers. Um, you know, I, I would have them and the Lakers kind of neck and neck. But the Lakers lost more. Uh, than the Clippers have, and and even more in the, the little PG highlights that I'm seeing uh, from them playing in their scrimmage right now kind of justifies that. So I really like their starting five. Um, I'm interested to see if Reggie Jackson is a part of that starting five now. I think he's a good addition, but if not, you know, their starting five is really good. We all know who they have on there. And then that's also a really well-balanced team. And then number one, I'm going Milwaukee. I pretty much think that's the that's the easiest one to say, um, just with how Giannis is playing, how Chris Middleton is playing, how evenly – uh, distributed their team is a little bit of a check tape here right now, Jake. I was actually going through uh, our social media. It was interesting how last year around this time we were talking about the teams that you thought were going to fall off in the Eastern Conference, and you had the Bucks pegged for a latter Eastern Conference team. I mean, like a a six seven seed team, just because they lost someone like like Miritich, <laughs> Brogdon too. Brogdon. Brogdon. No, like look, like. I mean, who knows? Maybe they would have been. I don't, we, we had a whole like 30 games. Right. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the many things that I, I will, you know, admit that I'm wrong about. But uh, hey, kudos, kudos was, to them. I, it was more I, of I honestly, saying that I was right than you were wrong. That's to be honest. Huh? It was more of me saying I was right than you were wrong, to be honest. I was more giving myself praise. I didn't All right. Well, I'm glad you feel good about that. That's I, good. I do. I do. All right, Matt, you're five. So number five, I got to go with the Philadelphia 76ers. Just because defense wins championships, or at least in the Sixers' case, makes the Eastern Conference Finals. So, (laughs) they're my number five. Their defensive versatility is unmatched by any team except maybe Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. And I really like the addition of Shake Milton. Mm -hmm. And it also gives me cover because it's a blank slate. So I don't have to defend Al Horford anymore. But wasn't that the same point we made against the Pelicans as to why we didn't like them number one? Because they have a, such a small sample size with their starting five. And well, you got no sample size on projecting forward. And the Pelicans are not in the playoffs right now. The Sixers, at worst, are a sixth seed in the East. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, so I got it at number five. My number four is the Houston Rockets, just because... When you have the two most scariest guards in the league, just from this, any sense you want to describe it, mm-hmm. physically menacing, aggressiveness, and Score. hardworking, right. you, and, and they play the right kind of basketball, whether or not you like the chucking threes up. And I believe in small ball, and they've taken it to the extreme. And Eric Gordon is very underrated. 
mm-hmm. and the Rockets are going to make a lot of noise this postseason if they can get past the Clippers or Lakers. Number three, I got the Clippers, and this is just be me being mad that they don't have Lou Williams starting because I had him number two, and then I remember Lou Williams comes off the bench, so I had to flip it. So if this was like closing <laughs> lineups, I'd put the Clippers ahead. Um, but Kawhi and Paul George, they just devour any presence in front of them on the perimeter. And I don't see anyone not named LeBron James being able to do anything productive against them. Well, it's then- crazy for, for the Clippers. It's crazy that they're, they're probably the only team where their front court specializes in defense. Their full front court specializes in defense with, you know, an above average ability to score on the offensive end too. Like the Clippers can can shut down your backcourt on any given night, and if your backcourt get going in today's NBA, like your team can't really go. We we've seen that. Reminder: the Clippers added an All NBA first team player this offseason, and it wasn't Kawhi Leonard. Right, Paul <laughs> George for defense. So Great. they it's it's there it's the best defense. Here it is: the best defensive forward combination or two and three what. Since Jordan and Pippen. That's mm-hmm. my take. And then my number two is the Los Angeles Lakers. Just because when you have two of the top six players in the league, you got to put them that high. I don't care who they put in instead of Avery Bradley. When you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you got to put them at least in the top three. And number one, the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Milwaukee Bucks are getting shit on way too much. By the, because they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals last year mm-hmm. when they were up 2-0 and lost four in a row. And people don't like to believe in them because they're not the sexy team. They're not from L.A. They're not from even like Philly or Boston or Miami. But I'll tell you this. They're one of the best teams of the past 20 years. And they will lose no more than three postseason games the entire playoffs in their title run this season. That is letting shit fly today. <laughs> I absolutely. Well, we're gonna be running that back after they go sixteen and three through the postseason, and I'm we'll end. I'm locking it right now. Episode was episode 52, 53. Well, I'm I'm gonna remember to say we're definitely gonna have to do a check tape. He was confident in that. He was confident in that. All right, so those are the starting fives. We'll move on to our second segment. We're bringing a, a an oldie but a goodie back. I haven't done this in a while. Bullish or bullshit? Uh, you guys know how this goes, we're going to give you uh, a topic that, you know, we like to put our chances on and we'll say if we think the chances are bullish or if we think that they're bullshit. And I'll start it off. Jake, I'll go to you first. Bullish or bullshit, the chances the MLB finished their season full through and doesn't get shut down. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say I'm bullish on it solely for the fact that they have now decided as a group, rather than as the owners want one thing, players want one thing, which is what we saw for so long. They're now together and saying, and and to the players' credit, the players have always been, part of their messaging has been, we want to play, tell us where and when. So maybe things won't go to plan. I, I, I have no problem saying that. I'm sure there will be, you know, kinks along the way that they have to work out. But overall, all parties involved have too much to lose um, in terms of, financial matters. So I don't know. I tend to usually err on the side of they'll work things out when money is on the line. And um, so far that has held true for pretty much every league. It'll be interesting. They will really be one of the first, them and the NBA will be, well, really, really the MLB will be the first one into the fire in terms of going city to city, uh, making sure all your players from these cities are, are going to be checked. And, And then there's the whole blue Jay problem. So, which I think we'll get to. So, I don't know. There, they will. There will be problems, but I think they'll finish. Matt, bullish or bullshit? Bullshit. I wish I could say bullish, but we've this has been we've handled this coronavirus so poorly. Terrible. And all the travel. It, I know it's like we yeah. do the division to make it less travel, but Philly still got to go to Miami to play the Marlins. They still got to go to Atlanta, Atlanta. To play, and like it's. I just, unless they just don't give a shit about players getting the the disease, I don't see how it's feasible. I'm I'm with you, and we saw like the in each of the cities around the country, some of the worst spots were in the airports. Like, so I, I don't understand. We we're, we're talking about places like Chicago and Atlanta and 
pretty much every city in Florida, we're talking about spikes and cases happening, you know, in in airports. So there's no there's no bubble, that, you know. So they're pretty gung ho in doing it. It's just I'm with you, man. Like I really want to see a fall MLB season, but if I'm being uh, if I'm being realistic of how I've seen it's been treated so far, I'm I'm bullshit on it too. All right, next one, Matt. I'll come to you first, and this is. I got you. Gotta love when we rehash this one, man. Bullish or bullshit on the chances Ben Simmons attempts a three pointer in the bubble. To preface the question, the a tradition as old as time, as right before I knew NBA season, Ben Simmons video surface of him in an empty gym with no defense on him, with perfect passes, hitting jump shots. And so we have to ask the question as we do every year: bullish or bullshit? Ben Simmons attempts a three in the bubble. A three, yes. Multiple threes, no. One, no one maybe do, he'll maybe get if you gave the over under at one and a half, I'd stare at the paper for like three hours. <laughs> um what I do like about the videos of him shooting is that his elbows tucked in more, which is progress. And I've always said that it's more important he gets his free throw percentage up than he is than it is for him to learn a jump shot. And his free throw okay. percentage has been steadily improving over the past 30 games at 72%, which is decent. And eventually, if he gets to a place where he can shoot one to two threes a game, that would be great. But right now, unless he gets something wide open in the corner, he's not going to shoot or even think about it. Even then, even then, we have two shots in a, in a lifetime of basketball. So I don't know what makes you think we're going to get it now, Jake, bullish or bullshit. I, I couldn't really be more bullish if pop like there's no more bullish like i like you might as well put me in pampalona and i'll run with the bulls that's how bullish i am put me in chicago like here's what we'll do here's what we'll do if i can find a bet out there on some sports book most mainstream ones won't list stuff list like threes made by a certain player um at least not like ben simmons if i find one i'm going to bet the over and I will take all winnings from that bet, and I will make Ben Simmons shoots threes right. now yeah. on a T-shirt, and we'll give them away to listeners of the podcast. So there you go. If Ben Simmons, like, and again, like, he doesn't where post. The, where is this confidence coming from? Like, there's so much. He, just, he doesn't post the lot. He's not going to do it. There isn't all this hype. If he, he can't do it, like, he can't do it. He does it every year. He does it every year. He does it every year. Single year. And what cracks me up about it is one, not the fact that y'all fall for it every single year. Like, it's like you have such a toxic relationship with Ben Simmons' three-point shot. Like, you know you shouldn't believe it. You know you shouldn't believe anything that it says. But as soon as it hits your phone, you will come running. And I don't understand that. I really don't. And two, Jake, they don't post the misses. They could have been in that gym for three hours. They could have been in that gym for three hours shooting. And as soon as they got four makes in a row, they post those. But they could have 120 misses that you don't see. Like it could be just as bad. I'm not worried about. I'm I'm worried about the attempts. It's always been about the attempts for me. I don't care if he like. Gen, but see, seriously, see, seriously going is, doesn't make any of them. Like if he goes 0 for 16, but he's shooting jumpers like three pointers, I would be ecstatic. I would do a backflip if he goes 0 for 16 in the regular. Season. I'd rather no, he go seven of ten from the paint than him go 0 from 16. Yeah, like, well, right? I'll put it this way: if he does attempt threes, he gets to no more than like three or four. And if he doesn't have a make, he's not doing it anymore. Like, what do you think? What makes you think he gets to 16? In the regular season, I think there should really be no reason for him. There's no crowd. Clearly, the Sixers with their home and away splits, they do have a problem with like crowd noise and, and crowd pressure. And I think with Ben Simmons, it's pretty evident. Like he's the point guard, and the reason they fall apart on the road is because he can't manage a game as a point guard on the road. Um, so I think without that presence there, like it's like a part if he's shooting them in practice, they're essentially playing practice games. It's just televised and they can't. That's all. They, yeah, they're in a bubble. They're 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 like practice games. They're like practice games, but they're televised. <laughs> so nothing like practice games. I could. This is so bullshit. It's it's the boy who cried wolf. Like we can see these videos. They can be amusing. And yeah, oh, the form looks kind of good. He's making them whatever. Until I see him do it in a game, I'm not gonna believe it anymore. And you know, maybe I just don't have the optimism on my side. I'm not a Sixers fan, but. 
this is me pulling y'all back down to earth again, as I do. As I do. Keep that energy for the next one we do. Okay. The next... <laughs> the next one. Not because Jake said that I'm going to come to you first. <laughs> Bullish or bullshit that Gronk will live up to his 95 overall Madden rating. And answer carefully there, stat Matt. Answer carefully. Bullish or bullshit? Are you sure it's not a typo? 95. 95. Are you sure it's not a typo? 95. 95 is outrageous. Hater. I Hater. Was Hater. He Hater. was like the only likable Patriot this decade. He was the best tight end I've ever seen. He made me shit my pants in the Super Bowl when we played him. But, it, he, right, was, but, but he got old. He was a decent <laughs> tight end, top 10 tight end his last year with New England. Made a couple big catchers in the postseason. But he only had 600-something yards and three touchdowns. Like, he's Jared Cook level. That's it. 95 is just nuts. It's nuts. You're lucky it's we're over. You're lucky, you, yo, you're lucky we're over here right now because I know you didn't just compare my tight end to Jared Cook. I know that's not. I know that's not what just happened right now. That's exactly what happened. I know that's not what happened. Jake, bullish or bullshit? I want to hear what you have to say. Um, so here's here's what I'm gonna say. I'm going to say bullshit, but I will give the caveat. Like like if I'm like an odds on better, like what what do I think will happen? I would say he doesn't live up to the 95 rating. There is an outside shot, however, with the two outside threats that the Buccaneers have, that he could have like a top five production season. Now, I don't know if that get, that, that that really warrants a ninety five rating. I mean, Zach Ertz had a ninety rating, and uh, he he's been producing for years. So, I think, I mean, obviously, it's super subjective. He could live up to the rating. I don't think he will. Okay, here's why I'm bullish. Not only from the standpoint of you know being a lifelong Buccaneers fan. But from the standpoint of if you look at his rating and where it ranks him amongst tight ends, it's third right now. So I'm bullish in the standpoint of I think Gronk, I'm bullish on on the chances of Gronk turning in a top five tight end season. Kind of just what you were saying, Jake. And the offense that the Buccaneers have, the way they're going to be able to utilize him and hello, him being Tom Brady's favorite target of all time. We, We put it on our social media. Twice as many touchdown passes to Gronk than any other player that he's ever thrown to. So I think Gronk can turn in a top five tight end season. I really do. It's going to take some altering of Bruce Arians' offense to really feature a tight end like that. But when you have, like Matt, you just said, the greatest tight end of all time and the greatest quarterback of all time, and they're together and they've been paired together, why, you know, there's, there's a huge chance to do it. So I think we're going to do it. So screw both of y'all for hating. Matt, really screw you for hating. I feel like ever since I said that Celtics thing, you were just on the other side of me this entire time. That's really what it was. And he's Gronk out of the targets because there's better receiving options on the Bucks. Do you like that angle better? <laughs> Say it again. Say it again one more time. The Bucks have much better weapons than Gronk. How about that angle? Does that work better for you? Because like, I don't know. If Chris, like, Evans. Like, who cares about Gronk? Tom Brady does. That's who. Tom Brady does. Ninety touchdowns. Ninety of them bitches. So Tom Brady cares about Gronk. That's who does. Y'all are making me mad. We're moving on because y'all are, y'all are making me real mad. It's time to move into this past weekend's boys with the weekly wrap-up. So we're going to bring in our guy, Kyle Sirik, to give us the lowdown on that. All right. Thank you, James. So this week in sports was basically a no week in sports, but we still have some news coming out. So first, we have the Minnesota Timberwolves are now for sale, and Kevin Garnett is part of a group looking to buy the team. So KG's T-Wolves accolades include 10 All-Star selections and an MVP award. And he's without a doubt, in most people's mind, the best Timberwolves player to ever play. Um, he had this to say about his potential buying on Twitter. My passion for the Minnesota Timberwolves to be a championship team is well known, but I have a deeper affection for the city of Minneapolis. I once again want to see Minneapolis as the diverse and loving community that I know it as. No two people love the city more than myself and Glenn Taylor, and I love looking forward to work with them to achieve my dreams. So do we want to see a KG Rand Timberwolves here? What do you guys think? I want to see I a KG run anything. I just want to say, just a couple years ago, um, not the current uh, Timberwolves owner is a group led by Glenn Taylor, and he, they're trying to purchase it from Glenn Taylor. And a couple years ago, Kevin Garnett said, "Quote: I don't do business with state 
with snake motherfuckers like Glenn Taylor. So I just yep. find that kind of funny. Yep. Okay, so maybe there isn't as much of a chance as I thought there was of KG <laughs> being the winner. That out there, but, well, uh, I know that he was. What smaller move would it be to see KG retire his own number himself as owner? <laughs> no, I, think sure. I think it's pretty ridiculous that his number isn't retired yet, but uh, I always think I always think it's better that if the owner has like an actual affiliation with the team that they're owned. So, you know, how Michael Jordan, you know, probably not the best example, but how he owns the, the Hornets because he's from that area, how um, Larry Bird is the owner of the Pacers because he's from that area. So, you know, if KG has an actual stake in the Timberwolves, then, you know, besides just business and wanting to be profitable from one organization, once the Timberwolves on court product to be good, you know, I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be beneficial. If it happens. Yeah. He is going up against, I believe, another bidder uh, is the owner of the Vikings. Um, so, obviously, some establishment power there going up against KG. But, mm-hmm. like you guys said, I, w- I would love to see him. I mean, I think it'd be entertaining as hell to see him own a team. Or right. at least be part of an ownership group. For sure. All right, moving on. So, it came out earlier this week that Canada is not going to allow the Blue Jays to play in Toronto due to concerns over the pandemic. It came out yesterday that the Blue Jays players were told they'll be playing at PNC Park for their home games this year, but that was shut down within the past hour, actually, by the Pennsylvania Department of Health. So the Blue Jays' first home game is scheduled next Wednesday, and they're still without a home ballpark. This adds to an ever-growing list of just weird impacts the pandemic has had on sports. Um, What is the impact here, and where do we think the Blue Jays are going to play? I mean, look, it kind of goes to what I was saying earlier in bullish or bullshit. Like, I think this is the first domino to fall where we see the MLB kind of not finish their season. It it's starts with this, and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, they have a team who, you know, may not be the best team in the league or the best team in the division, but a very promising team in the Blue Jays, a young and up-and-coming team who could have made some kind of noise. So to not have them, like, I think hurts the hurts the league, hurts the product. It's definitely bad news that they don't have this figured out by now. Like, I know that it's all kind of late breaking. Like, they just found out not too long ago that Toronto had said they won't be able to play there. Like, worst comes to worst, they'll just... I don't even know how it would mess up the logistics, but, like, sharing a ballpark with maybe one of the New York teams who's close to that border, they're going to be hard-pressed. Maybe they play in, like... A minor league park. I mean, I, I was reading none of those yeah, stadium a minor league team, so maybe they could play in a minor league like but that park. Mm-hmm. I read no minor league baseball stadiums meet some of the MLB lighting requirements, which is like a really weird thing that I'm sure they'll jump through mm-hmm. a hurdle to you know jump through the hoop to kind of get around. I, I but can cover those tracks pretty easily. I just want to say. I I absolutely hope I don't even though I don't think I absolutely hope a season goes through safely, and it would be incredible like Buffalo sports lore like if this was the title they finally won as like a baseball team like just using because a sixty and a sixty <laughs> like Buffalo fans will try to claim the title like they will we won it when it was a fake I, season with only sixty games I would I would even blame them. And before we move on, remember, before all of this, this is last year, I think, during the MLB playoffs, it came out that, which team? I think the Marlins, if I remember correctly, were looking into having dual home, uh, home gate, like a home, two different home cities. Do we remember this? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember Montreal. With Tampa. And. No, Tampa was going to do it with Montreal. That's what it was. Right. Okay. So there, there is precedent to that type of thing. All right. Staying with baseball here. Earlier today, it was reported that Mookie Betts is finalizing a deal that's going to keep him in a Dodger uniform for the next 13 years. The deal said to be worth more than $380 million and when signed will be the second largest contract in MLB history based off of total value. He'll also be only the sixth player to ever get a contract worth $300 million or more. So we know he's an AL MVP, four-time All-Star and a World Series champion. But is $380 million and locking in Mookie Betts until he's 40 years old a bit too much? Or is this the right thing to do? From I mean, from what the market was said last year, like, no, it's not too much. He falls right in line with all the big deals that were made last year with Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Mike Trout, and so on and so forth. 
um, for, from his status, but also from the Dodgers going forward. Like, I think this is a really good deal going forward. Now your two best players are, you know, Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts, two former MVPs, you know, two young former MVPs, two to cement your team going forward. So let's see. I think it's going to prove its worth if he can help the Dodgers not choke in the, in the postseason and get a World Series ring, that more than pays for itself. Anytime, any day is a great day when Boston sports fans are unhappy. And this is one of those days. And I take this day and just juice it for all of its worth because this is worth its weight in gold to me. I mean, look, you're a very cynical fan. You're a very cynical fan. No, it totally is. Having a player like Mookie Betts is to pay him a lot of money so your fans can watch him play for a long, long time. The Red Sox were cheap as hell. And I don't really know why, but the Dodgers are benefiting from it. And Dodger and the Dodgers, they spend a lot of money because they can afford to. So, and they're doing the right thing because Mookie Betts is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, after most states canceled basketball championships due to the pandemic back in March, the focus shifts to the fall seasons and making them go as fluid as possible. Unfortunately, the time has come for these states to make their decisions, and it's not looking great for high school student athletes. Many states have already pushed their seasons back by a month. But the overall uncertainty of everything seems like they're just buying more time. So as I said, many states are delaying their seasons, but then you have Florida, the current largest hotbed for catching the coronavirus right now on this planet, who's going to allow schools to start practicing on Monday. So that's take that for what it is. But what, I know, I know sports were – Oh, my fault. I'm sorry yeah, to what cut is, you off, Kyle. What's wrong good. with Florida? Like why, why, is it, why is this so hard to grasp? Like you can't just operate normally. Like, Florida's always been a weird state to me. All I'm going to say is look at their recent governors. That's, that's <laughs> my statement. What a is the unfortunate reality of it, and that's why a lot of kids are going to be put at risk because of, you know, certain stances that their government or their local government may have on coronavirus, which for whatever reason, and Florida, why it's a hotspot is – in like Matt said, largely because of just that, they they don't want the virus to be a thing, so they're going to pretend it's not a thing. And all the other, all the rest of us will have to deal with the consequences and live in real life. While you know what, I'm not going to. I was actually going to. You were about to get going. Right <laughs> so I'll bring it back to a sports point. I think something that clearly shouldn't be the focus right now, but is also very interesting, is how this is going to impact so many things down the line for every level of sports from the sense that colleges aren't going to recruit the right players because there'll be a year of tape missing. The drafts will be screwed up from the college players to the pros because they don't have – like Joe Burrow would have been a sixth-round pick if there wasn't going to be last season. So it's going to be wild, the throwing shit up in the air and seeing what falls down from like the recruiting standpoint and scouting standpoint. It's going to lead to a lot of wacky things happening. Definitely. All right, that's about all I have. I want to throw out that Michael Bennett also announced his retirement earlier today. He just wants to focus on staying home, and he's been doing stuff with his wife um, with a podcast on social injustice, so shout out to him. He played 11 seasons, and the average NFL career is three. He has a Super Bowl. He was on very good teams on that Seahawks defense. That was great, so shout out to Michael Bennett, and we hope well in your retirement. But let's move into the countdown. Shout out to him. Number five. The amount of wins that starting pitcher Joe Magrin had for the St. Louis Cardinals in 1988 when he led the league in ERA with a 2.18 ERA. His season record ended at 5 through 9. And, like, that's so un- that's so unfortunate. But you know what that looks like? It looks like a, like a Philadelphia Phillies starting pitcher stat. Like having a good ERA and just zero run support behind you so, so your wins are just are very low. So, so, so sorry to Joe. Tragic. Cole Hamill's numbers right there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Number four, the number of points Wayne Gretzky had in 11 playoff games in Edmonton after being traded to the Kings, uh, that being zero goals, four assists. An interesting, the only bit I have on hockey here, an interesting Wayne Gretzky factoid is back in the day when they used to do fantasy hockey and Wayne Gretzky was obviously far and away the best player to make it even. Cause now, and you know, you're the number one pick, you pick Wayne Gretzky. If you get all of those points, you're probably going to win that year. It's like not even a contest. So what they would do is they would split up. You could either get Wayne Gretzky goals or you could get Wayne Gretzky assists and you could take and pick which one of those you want. He was split into two different players because of how statistically great he was. It's a rare, bad Wayne Gretzky stat. 
There's not many of them. I, I think it's like one of maybe one or two I've, I've ever seen in my life. That's a bad Wayne Gretzky set. Number three. The number of national championships Nick Saban has won more than Clemson's entire program. <laughs> six, six national championships to Clemson's three. Colin, you put this in here just to make Matt mad because if you did, thank you. I needed, I, I needed, I, I needed a I shot. I wanted to him. see what he had to say. I needed a <laughs> shot for him. He's going to shoot it down. I'm glad that it's a comparison based on me as a kid rooting for Charlie Whitehurst. So, <laughs> you at least got put in the same realm. You at least got put in the same realm. Like, okay, okay. <laughs> That's true. All right, number two. The number of leagues CC Sabathia led in shutouts during the 2008 season when he led both the AL and NL in the stat. There was two shutouts for the Indians in the AL and three for the Brewers in the NL. Um, CC Sabathia, we, we were talking on, uh, about him, I guess it was like a, a couple months ago when we were mm-hmm. previewing the MLB season, I think maybe. Mm-hmm. And it, it still strikes me as incredible how he was efficient, even up until, you know, last year, the year before that, uh, as, as a player for the Yankees. So, Hey man, CC's, CC's one of the greats of my lifetime. And it was great to watch the Phillies rock him in the playoffs for those brewers. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, clearly that he was a great pitcher that year. Also, major shout-out to the fact that when he was struggling with alcoholism, he went out to seek help and has stayed sober for almost five years now. Yeah, just one of the like most likable guys in MLB history. Like, whether whatever team you rooted for is pretty much not a bad thing you had to say about C.C. Sabathia, so shout-out to him. Number one. Is the amount of three pointers Shaquille O'Neal made in his nineteen NBA nineteen year NBA career? The man went one for twenty two. Shaq Diesel. So it just further proves the point that sometimes, no matter how much you can, you know, work on a, uh, you know, on a skill and practice a skill and and do whatever you want, sometimes your skill set is just limited to some things. And for Shaq. That happened to be a three-point jump shot as well. Shaq was never going to be able to be a stretch five. So I just want all three Sixers fans in this panel right now to just remember that. Just breathe, take a deep breath, and remember that some players just can't do it all. Have you ever seen the clip of the one three Shaq made? Hilarious, yeah. It's like yeah. at the end of like a first quarter, and he like chucks it like it's a shot put, and it like banks off the backboard. It's like it's like Stephen Adams. It's like Stephen Adams' one career three, where it was just literally a, a touchdown pass from three quarters court, and it happened to go in. Um, but we're almost out of time for this episode. We can get some shots up at the buzzer. Who wants to go first? Anyone got anything to say at the buzzer? I'll go first. All right. I just want to give a big rest in power to Michael Brooks, who tragically mm-hmm. died at the age of thirty-six uh, two days ago. Um, he was a big inspiration to me and a big part of my political evolution. And he made me have a more worldly view of politics. And I'm really going to miss his perspective on things. And his view of politics was such an empathetic and humanistic way of looking at it. And it just kind of sucks that he died so young and so early. Mm-hmm. And uh hope his family feels better about some prayers during this time. Absolutely. Rest in peace. Rest in power. Jake, anything to say at the buzzer? Not really. It's super hot out lately. Uh, I don't. I mean, not to kind of. It's really tough to go after Matt. That's why I didn't want to go after Matt. <laughs> hot out. <laughs> I've just been outside, and it's like a just terrible heat. Um, but overall, I, I'm pretty happy with how all things are going. I'm back at Radio.com, and uh, you know, finally starting to get back into a workflow and feeling like I'm like part of the working world again has been. I'm not going to say nice because hasn't necessarily been nice, but it's been fulfilling. I'll say that. Right. Uh, I'll go next. What I got to say at the buzzer, not too much for me either, but sports are officially back, like officially, officially back. I know the MLS was doing their MLS is back tournament, but I mean, the, the sports that we all know and love and, and one of the three major is back in the NBA. So you can find me locked up in my house willingly this time and watching all NBA basketball for the foreseeable future. If you ever need me, call me, text me. If you want to reach me, I'll be at at my house watching NBA basketball. Kyle, got anything to say at the buzzer? Yeah, so we are, I want to say, four, maybe probably four months into this pandemic right now. I know a lot of focus is on physical health, but let's not forget about mental health here. Um, We're seeing a 
prolific person doing not without getting into the details we're seeing stuff on twitter and maybe a campaign rally um that is concerning to me and uh we don't know the effects that this indoor lockdown has had on people and if it can happen to people in the spotlight it can happen to you so let's just uh let's check on our friends that's beautifully said i think a good way to end it but that's all the time we have for this episode of straight facts it was a good one big ups uh, to Stat Matt and Kyle Searick down there, both on and off the camera. But uh, for my main man's Jake Galley, I am James Jackson. These have been the facts. Straight up. Straight up.